This is The Witcher on TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about The Witcher Blood Origin Episode 3. You and the mage, lass? Yeah. How'd you come to be then? Well, it's a long story. Hmm. Only stories worth telling. Well, one day you fall into a mage's mists. And she sees all that you have done. All the evil that you've torn into the world. And somehow, somehow she sees. Good in you. She starts to heal your soul with a gentleness that you don't deserve. Oh, it's a great tale, huh? Welcome back, fellow Witchers, and happy holidays once again. We're back with the third episode of The Witcher Blood Origin on TV Podcast Industries. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, festive fellow Witchers. I am one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out this trio of uh, festive Witchers. Mm. Uh, the, the, <laughs> I the, them. Clan, the clan of the, the, the baked gingerbreads. How's that? Is it called a coven of Witchers? That would be quite good, but I think that's oh, just probably, a coven yeah, of Witches. Would, no, I know exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like say that. that Coven of Witchers. <laughs> Love it. Welcome back. Yeah, we're we're over halfway through now uh, of our of our coverage of the Witcher Blood Orange and all four episodes that came out on Christmas Day. Am I still saying Blood Oranges or Blood no, Orange? No, okay, I did get no, it right. You you come you come past Blood Oranges and descended directly into the correct pronunciation. Excellent, yeah. excellent. <laughs> That's uh, that was all planned, all planned. So I hope you enjoyed our podcast about the first two episodes. Uh, these are spoiler filled discussions of each episode of the Witcher Blood Origin. Have you enjoyed the first couple episodes, guys? Yeah, no, I did, um, and kind of just was you know really excited to get into the the last two mm-hmm. see how they sort of rounded it out and dealt with it because i kind of quite like this world mm. ultimately it's not yeah. one that i've really read and with the game it was so mahusive that mm-hmm. um i didn't really go <laughs> beyond um well i can't even remember now but i was searching for for herbs for so long that that took me at least 5 hours yeah, um, yeah. so yeah the, i just it was just too big that was the witcher 3 wild hunt yeah. that was the one that we were playing and i know there's a, a big massive upgrade for anybody who has a playstation 5 or got a playstation 5 for christmas or an xbox series x or a series s uh, there's a big upgrade uh, for us so you can go and go back and play it in like brand new graphics and it looks amazing so um yeah yes. so that's a good way to play it if you've never played the witcher before so definitely uh, go check that out but uh, that might be something that we'll sit down and do over christmas i think so like as i say i just really enjoy this world yeah. actually yeah no i'm enjoying everything about this um if anything as i kind of have speak spoken about in their last episode just going a bit too fast mm-hmm. i think that's my problem i'm like slow down let's take in the sides let's show me let's do a bit of a yaskir on it like let's get it drunk a bit let's chat tell me a story sing some songs <laughs> like wine and dine me 
just don't just keep going so fast. It does all of those things, Chris. As, as I said last time, I think you're just spoiled by Andor and uh, and possibly yeah. by the uh, the eight to ten episode shows of uh, the Witcher seasons. But it's better than a one and a half hour movie, right? You can imagine how much exactly. you'd be cut there if it was if it was back down to one individual movie. It's just the four episode show, uh, so at least we get about four hours of uh, of the Witcher uh, for Christmas, right? Exactly. Let's get into it. Let's get into our discussion about this. Just to remind all of our wonderful fellow Witchers, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can pop over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com subscribe to the podcast there you get access to all of our episodes covering each of the uh, seasons of the witcher uh, which we've discussed before and of course the first two episodes there and all the other shows that we cover over there we do want to hear your thoughts on the witcher and on any of the shows again that we cover uh, you can always email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or pop on over to our facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tv podcast industries where you can leave a comment on any of the spoiler posts that we put up good stuff Derek, what are some of the episode details? Well, episode three of The Witcher Blood Origin is called Of Warriors Wakes and Wondrous Worlds. It's based on the book series by Andrew Sapkowski and the game series from CD Projekt Red. Uh, showrunner for this show is Declan DeBauer with executive producer Lauren Smith-Hisrich, who is the executive producer and showrunner of The Witcher. Good stuff. This episode is directed once again by Sarah Gorman and Vicky Jusen. Sarah directed two episodes of The Witcher Season 2, and Vicky directed Episode 2 of Blood Origin. They both co-directed Episode 1. Keeping it in the fam? Exactly, keeping them on board, uh, doing all the directing for the series. Uh, this episode was written by Tanya Losha and uh, Kirsten Van Horn. Uh, the first Witcher episode for Tanya, who was a staff writer on six episodes of DC's Swamp Thing. Interesting. Ooh. That was a quite a nice little fact. Uh, and Kirsten has written two episodes of Snowpiercer and also DC's Krypton as well. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Chris is looking really surprised that there was a TV show called Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. That's been on for three I just seasons. forgot there was a TV show <laughs> called Snowpiercer going, isn't that amazing? Oh, yes, there was. There was yes. a multiple se- multi-seasoned. Yeah, yeah. There's like three seasons of it already? I think we're on to season four now. I feel like that's where yeah, we're Yeah, we haven't watched on. season four. Yeah, the most um, recent season we've, we've only seen about half of, as far yeah, as I remember. But yeah. I really enjoyed it. That's mm, yeah, a good show. It's a good show. And they're, they're the writers for this one. Uh, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for The Witcher Blood Origin Episode 3 of Warriors Wakes and Wondrous Worlds? Sure. Ayla, Brother Death, Fjall and Sion escape the oncoming monster, travelling through a portal created by the mages Zakair and Sindral back to the continent. As the portal closes, the beast is split in two. As the group arrives on the border of Zintrea with Baylor's beast flying overhead, they are greeted by Meldoff and her hammer Gwen. They take in the disparate group, and when she learns of their plan to kill elven Empress Moen, the six becomes seven. But to get to Moen, they must destroy the beast, as Fial confides to Skion that there is no back door into Zintrea. Sindral plans to create a beast of their own, using the heart of the beast already slain at the portal and Zakair's dark magic. Ayla volunteers to go through with the difficult procedure, but after a night of heart-to-hearts, Fial takes her place. While everyone is focused on Fial's transformation, Skion concocts a plan of her own. She offers up Fial to the Empress in exchange for the reward, the sacred sword of her people, Soul Reaver, and 50 of her men. Meanwhile, Moen has a plan to get her people back on side. She wants to conquer distant lands to gather their food supply for the elves. Arresting Bala, she tasks her own mage, Avalach, to re- replicate Bala and Sindral's use of the monoliths. 
but when he's unable to use them, the Empress makes an alliance with Bala, freeing him and his apprentice, Fenric. With Fiol transformed into the first Witcher, he declares his love for Ayla, and the group start towards Entreya. They are led into a dead end by Skion as the Zentrean soldiers block their return path headed by Sion. But with the help of a group of sellswords led by Uthrok Wonnut, they realise Skion's double double cross, killing Merwin's men. They dress in their armour and head on the road to Zentrea. So here we are, third episode of The Witcher Blood Origin, and we find the blood origin of The Witcher. Yeah, and it's pretty cool. It is. Yeah, like, like especially that now, in the, I think it was the, the last season, we saw the actual Chiron Morn in The Witcher. We saw the, the, the birthplace of the wolf clan, or the clan of the wolf, mm-hmm. like Geralt's clan, mm-hmm. and you could see the how they created Witchers, i.e. in that lab. Yeah. And now looking at the the proto version of the very first blood, Witcher blood being created, mm-hmm. uh, bloodline, all the way back on it was a monster heart and some magic yeah. tendrils that kind of like vines that cut mm. in, uh, and then all these other kind of deathly potions. You're like, cool, yeah, good to see, absolutely. And and they also go through the trial trial of grasses as well to prepare themselves for uh, yeah for the magics as well. So uh, so there are some similarities to how witchers are still created in uh, in our present day of the Witcher. So uh, kind of cool to see that. Uh, it is the story of the season, so uh, we're here in episode three and getting that. I think we should go into our big moments from the episode, the ones that stood out to you, the moments that you want to talk about. Uh, where, where do you want to start, Chris? Do you want to kick us off? I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in very quickly uh, and first say, well, look, the six is now the seven. Yeah. Yay, yes. we've got the seven. Gwen is here. Uh-huh. Uh, Gwen is now. Uh, technically, I think we should say seven and a half or eight because technically. Like, I'm counting Gwen as being the eighth member. She does talk in Meldoff's head, but technically, and we do learn, like, she's built into the hammer with her ashes being part of the creation of that hammer. Mm -hmm. So we could technically say it was eight. But anyway, we have the seven aligned, uh, and it was, like, they were prophesied since the beginning of episode one, as we kind of said. We had seen them all in the very, very beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, I liked this overall kind of, coming together of the yeah. two part of the all the parties in one kind of final thing mm-hmm. making the discussion of what they're going to do and then going do you know what someone's going to become a witcher may die we're going to go on de- a suicide mission so let's just get messed up gotta have that wake yeah. we're all gonna die yeah. tomorrow yeah, yeah like that like that it's an interesting one isn't it because you could look at this and think it's really convenient that meldoff was there to meet them as they came back through the uh the portal because we met Meldoff last week, but because her mission had nothing to do with what they were doing, it's actually just a bit of backstory as to who Meldoff is that was told in episode two, right? It's not coincidental. She was there. That's what happened. But just because we saw her last episode, it feels like a very weird coincidence that she's standing right outside the portal as they arrive, but that's their meeting point, right? So uh, so I really enjoyed that. I like like how she knows who these people are from their histories and from the kind of talk that's been going around all the land of who each of these heroes are. She knows of them and really respects them. She hates elves. She's just gone on on missions to destroy elves all across the continent, effectively, that had done what they'd done. Exactly, yeah, the, the ones that had done what they had done. But the reason why she's willing to join up 
with this group is because they're going to kill more elves, right? Well, and but she respects all of that. Yeah, in yeah. particular the Empress. Yes. I mean, I kind of thought it was quite good that it's almost well. I've done all my killing now. I've mm-hmm. gotten the revenge for um, for Gwen. Mm-hmm. So kind of got nothing left to do. And you're talking about killing more elves, yeah. and in particular uh, the Empress Merwin, who she doesn't particularly like. So. Mm-hmm. I'll join you. And she becomes yeah. the seven. But it, it it's so offhand, so kind of chilled and relaxed way of doing it. I kind of quite like that because yeah. all the others are so, in a sense, have this meaningfulness about them because they were part of the dog clan or mm-hmm. the raven clan. And Meldorf is just there going, well, actually, I've finished all my killing. I'm kind of at a loose end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I quite enjoy killing, really. Yeah. Um, and I'm good at it. So... Yeah, I'll I'll be the seventh here, you yeah, know. Uh, so I like that. Absolutely, but she does also say it's kind of like a no chance of survival. I might as well do it because this will be the last act before I go and meet exactly. Gwen. Is is her point? Yeah. So if she dies in the in the fight, she's not too bothered because she's exactly. accomplished her plan and there's nothing else to do <laughs> other than sit in the cave yeah. and get drunk. We we do find there's a bit more to it. Like so, in when she's speaking to Brother Death outside, they do go a bit deeper, and she talks about how theoretically in her opinion the elves are kind of kind of assaulting and are wording her the, her heritage the dwarfs the monoliths were sacred and kind of kind of buried as because of for fertility of the land yeah. and stuff and they were buried on purpose and not only have the elves continue to kind of assault her people mm-hmm. um but also now they're assaulting her heritage and her land and like she goes in. That was one I was like, and you see, Brother Death just going, "Yeah, I, I have no. I'm not going to fight you on this. Yeah. It is true. We are disgu- disgusting people." <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was like, "That's cool. Like that's it, it was a good conversation that they get deep into in that bit. Yeah. But again, it just shows that she's like not just. There's more to it than sure. I'm going to get. Uh, drunk and then hopefully die in battle so that I can see my the love of my life. Well, she mm-hmm. kind of puts that... That's how she kind of does it, because she's got nothing to lose. I mean, she doesn't like elves, but she is joining up with elves. Yeah. So, uh, and it's not because they're going to suddenly start killing all elves. It's just that, actually, it's the only thing to kill, other than probably deer, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, but I... So, I mean, that's what I meant, where yes. you know, she's done her thing yeah. for revenge um on the people that had murdered her wife uh, mm. girlfriend then i think what i really like with that conversation to brother death is effectively it's important of what is going to happen to the elves as well mm-hmm. you know we've seen like with one of the episodes before with mo and saying how you know this elven palace or citadel of sintrea is built on the old dwarven cities mm-hmm. um as I say, the monoliths were treated very differently, um, almost respectfully in a sense, using their power for soil fertility. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, yeah, definitely get the sense from Meldoff, dwarves and elves are absolutely at odds, yeah. in a sense, culturally, yeah. in terms of how they view things, which is kind of interesting because normally that would be, if you think of Lord of the Rings, the elves are that one with nature mm-hmm. and it's yeah. the it, it's man that is effectively the exploitative so yes. 
I again, I think that's why I really enjoy this world because, in a, and certainly with these fours, because you don't have man exactly there at all. Yeah. It's only um, elves and dwarves, yeah. and the dwarves used to be in power, and the elves took over. So um, they're the master race, I guess, is the way you'd kind of call it about the elves, yeah. right? So um, I, yeah, I kind of so, like yeah. that conversation with brother death mm-hmm. uh, i like the fact that when he reciprocates with the long story she falls asleep as well <laughs> and then kind of you know waking up is like oh yeah that that was great and what a great like, she is a great character she is. she is can can we derek can you please tell your tell the quick story that we just discussed off air about that very particular scene we we were laughing about the fact that chris had uh, had mentioned on episode two the brother death got the worst intro of everybody he just kind of arrives and he now he's part of the, of the six at the time he just comes in and joins up and he's telling a story of that his history uh, which chris wanted most out of episode three that's what he wanted was an intro of these characters and of course uh Maldor falls asleep in the middle of it so i love the joke of it i love the joke that yeah we have seven characters yeah we have a backstory for brother death but we're not really going to tell you the full detail of it. We're just going to have our major character fall asleep uh, listening to it. So Chris yeah. actually sort of got his payoff um, yeah. of of needing of getting a backstory. But the joke is, we're not actually going to subject it to everybody's backstory. <laughs> I was so annoyed. I got so upset. Uh, it was really good. Anyway, the final bit of my point is the song. Hmm. That is going to be released on Spotify within a couple of days of launch, and you know that is going to chart similar to P- Toss a Coin to Your Witcher. I hope so. I hope so. Um, or the t- like the TikTok shanty mm. thing we got for a while. Yeah. It's going to do that. It's that song permeates this episode and just is just so soulful, mm-hmm. uh, well written, well produced well sung just everything about it and i was like they're gonna do that as one of the the key bits of the soundtrack for this uh, if not this episode for the the overall season yeah i hope so ella is such a, a great character her vocals are fantastic sophie brown has a beautiful voice and yeah, yeah. It, it just it feels of one with the world of the witcher you know the the a lot of fantasy stories base um a lot of information being transferred through song and through story and through poetry. Um, so if you're going to do that in the world of the witch, you have to make sure the songs stand up to that. Definitely. There's so many times when people try and do that in movies and, and TV shows where they stick a song in there and it just doesn't, it just can ruin a show, but yeah. they've chosen the right actress. They've chosen the right kind of song and the right kind of music to get across these ideas really well. I think, uh, yeah, it really stands out as a great tune. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And again, I, I I don't know if it will chart, mm. but it will definitely kind of be within nerd circles. <laughs> it will be quite big for a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm really enjoying the way that they're doing that ending each episode with the song of of the episode as their kind of closing music yeah. as well. It, it's making it feel like an epic tale of uh, of warriors and and uh, and well wizards and mages, I guess. <laughs> so uh, yeah, really liking that. That's a good uh, good check, Chris. Excellent. Johnners. Yes. What is your major point for this episode? Your big moment? It has to be the transformation of Fjall. Um, you know, like I, A, cause I thought it was just very, very cool. And yeah. um, I like how Sindral basically has this plan to use the heart of the dead monster that he cut in half mm-hmm. uh, as they escape from it right at the start. 
and then it's it's merging it with uh one of the elves mm-hmm. um with this special magic that Zachair has yeah um he says it is a dark form of magic that they're using and mm-hmm. i guess uh that procedure where there's an awful lot of that that black goo um which is really visceral to me because mm. like you know like i guess when you see stuff spitting out of people's mouths it's normally blood it's very, but it's just absolute blackness of it i think mm. it, it really represents like kind of the notion of something dark or you know unnatural in a sense well, exactly. of what's happening and exactly. i thought that procedure was very cool yeah and um, connecting back to fell's uh, nightmare or vision that he yeah. had in the last episode where he was drowning in the blood um, exactly yeah. and i just thought it was very cool just that that transformation with those kind of roots that zakir sends mm. out mm. from like from the heart of the monster to him it's kind of like a binding magic and um, mm-hmm. and as well not to spoil anything but just you know for episode four she uses that again so i i quite like that it's you know it's not sort of magic this is the witch's spell it's a it's a binding mm-hmm. power yeah. that she yeah. has and i i really enjoyed just uh all of that you have the other like really you know, I guess one of the key points is it's Ayla who is offering to uh, have this transformation done on her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with the wake and uh, everything, it is Fjall that, I mean, effectively, he gets her drunk, mm-hmm. possibly sleeps with her that night. Don't know. There's certainly a kiss mm-hmm. that, you know, that they're sort of finding their feelings that, you know, dog and raven can come as one mm-hmm. and uh that you know she wakes up to find him not next to her and has gone off to take this elixir to ultimately become the first witcher so yeah, yeah. like it's a huge moment and yeah. so you know that the, there's all of that kind of the group dynamics because it was ayla that was going to do this and mm-hmm. now it, it's fial but i i just thought it was really well done I, I like the fact you get, you know, you get the black eyes coming in, which mm-hmm. is just yeah. so good. Yeah. Um, as he kind of transforms. For some reason, I knew he was going to become a witcher, for, you know, or have that, the witcher's powers. But just the way Sindral was describing it, I did think he was going to be more beast rather than man. But of course, that wouldn't make sense when you see like Geralt and, mm-hmm. and the other witches. And um, so, yeah, I, I kind of initially was thinking it was a, a more extreme form of transformation mm-hmm. that was going to happen here. Yeah. Uh, but certainly you, you, you see sort of a, a wildness creep into Fjall. It seems to be that Ayla is the one that can kind of just calm mm-hmm. uh, him down there. So he, he's still in there. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's just because Sindral was saying how, you know, you will lose him. But at this moment in time, certainly uh, Fial is still in there. He, you know, he knows these are his friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
it seems to be Ayla that has that connection because of the connection the night before. So yeah. it was a good job they did go into the woods to sort of get to know one another. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, in the biblical be, sense. In the biblical sense, exactly. Yeah, she can really calm the savage beast within him. I, I do love that we get those yellow eyes, just like Geralt has. So um, it does feel very wolf-like, and given that yeah. he's from the Dark Clan, that makes that also makes a little bit of sense uh, as well. As yeah. it feels like he's gone from being in the Dark Clan to being. Uh, a wolf kind of thing so uh that that's very cool uh yeah it's a really a really good transformation i think going into the series if you were to look at the cast poster of all the members of the seven and choose who was going to be your first witcher you'd probably say fial because yes. you'd, you'd want to have a kind of an echo of Geralt in this cast but as the show's gone on i think i absolutely ex- expected it was going to be ayla that would take over she's the yeah. she seems much more of the major character and the way they were building her up in the show so i like how they twisted the story to get it to this point that he's almost sacrificing himself for Ayla because he doesn't want to lose her. Um, So I kind of like that that's the way it's going and that he feels responsible for everything given that he was the one that protected Merwin uh, all the way along. He was her private guard and now she's the empress of, uh, of all the land. So all of that is partly his fault effectively because yep. if he hadn't been there to protect her yep. she wouldn't have gotten in the position that, that she got into so um so I, I i like that i like the reasoning behind why he would take this on it's not it's not a simple reason he's not the he's not just the hero he's also got personal stakes and wants to protect um Ayla as well yeah very no, cool I, i'm with you on all of this i think for me it was fun to see and like the the, the from a Historical point of view, if you want to call it that, mm. uh, in terms of we've seen a lot of the the later aspects, a thousand years in the future. Mm-hmm. So this seeing this back in the day is fun, yeah. nice to see. Um, the true beginnings, yes, the, yes, exactly, the true beginnings. Um, I am with you in that I thought it was going to be the lark all the way up, mm-hmm. that like she would become the first bird clan or something, and will kind of because the, he was the dog clan. I actually there was a split second. Where I did think they were going to do, like, that the the school of the wolf, which is Geralt's clan, was everyone from the dog clan. And that the, the bird clan was going to be a different school of the bird or mm. the thing. And that, in actual fact, they were going to split. It was going to be decided that the, the, the seven were going to become different members of the houses. Right. And that's how they were going to... All of the houses came from each of one of these. And I was like, that's where my brain initially went because you could see the threads of that. And I think Mm. they may in the future. I think you do have all these options because you do have the, the, each of these members are different. Theoretically could be different houses. Yeah. It'd be like Harry Potter. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Who's Ravenfall? Um, But with a bit more death and a bit more raunchiness. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yes. But I look, I I loved it, and again, that that song for me was the one that being the one that calms him and mm-hmm. sung all the way through this episode, especially key moments, just being idyllic. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing I did like, and it's kind of tangentially t- attached here, is that the the where Sindral and uh, the the witch came up with this was that they tried to bring back their mother from the dead, mm-hmm. yeah, and brought back. 
something else. Yes. Yes, I was uh, trying to think of the uh, the bestiary of uh, of the Witcher. There is a there is um, a whole documentary that's on Netflix that's put together of all of the beasts that we've seen. Uh, couldn't pick out exactly what it is, but I know these are kind of low level monsters within the Witchers. The yeah. they're like zombies effectively in the world of yeah. Witchers. Um, so that's what they created. So monsters aren't just seeping in from outside. It's also because they're using crazy magic to try and do things they shouldn't be able to do in this world as well. It's also creating some other monsters too. I so. wonder if it's those monsters that Geralt was attacked by mm. um, in the forest, you know, that came up from the soil, uh, like mm. the, the zombies. I think it was from season two mm. of The Witcher. Yeah, um, yeah. Could be that kind. Could be I something guess. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, uh, I remember seeing uh, zombies in this world, but there's been so many monsters uh, over the last couple of seasons that uh, that uh, not 100 sure exactly which ones are, are which and what their names are. Uh, there was also a, a mention about so they've, they've created this Witcher to go up against the Beast, um, and they were trying to think of another plan to do it. There's also this call out from Brother Death about. Should they not just poison a lamb or poison a sheep and feed it to the beast? And <laughs> yeah. everybody laughs at how stupid that plan was. And I was kind of going, is that a reference to something that was done in the first season of The Witcher? I feel like I remember Geralt and Yasker having a similar conversation about poisoning a, uh, a, a sheep and feeding it to a beast to kill it. Yep, that's exactly what it was. Excellent. And it's out of the game as well. In the game, there is a griffin mm-hmm. um, that's eating a load of cows and sheep, and you, someone comes up with the idea. We well, just put poison that as well. Very good, very um, good. I was wondering. You don't do that. Because it, 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 it seemed like a really good. It seemed like a reasonable plan, at least. Now it's a big beast. You probably couldn't take it down with just one uh, poison sheep. But everybody laughed so heartily about it. It felt like a reference to something else. <laughs> so I'm glad. I'm glad I caught it. Anyway, good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Excellent, Derek. What was your big moment for this episode? I want to talk about skiing, to be honest. Um, that's kind of my big moment from the episode. The, yeah. This was a really good storyline. And when I watched it, I, I was thinking about you, Chris. I was thinking about your comments about, um, I mentioned about your, about Brother Depp not getting a backstory. And you'd mentioned about not really caring about uh, skiing because we didn't get any backstory about it. We just knew she was a badass, basically. And it's Michelle Yeoh. And when I watched the episode here, I was, I was thinking about you and, and realizing that. Oh. This worked out quite well that we didn't have a backstory for Skian, other than her entire clan had been had been killed. Because you kind of go, well, is she the desperate kind of person that would turn in yeah. um, Fial and uh, and Ayla to uh, Merwin? We can't really trust her because we don't know her backstory. I was going that that was that ends off being quite a good choice that we didn't yeah. have that backstory, uh, which I just I, I thought was really good. It played to its benefit because. I absolutely thought when we saw her go in there, you see how important Soul Reaver, this uh, the blade is, uh, the last yeah. piece of her legacy, the last piece of her history. You see how important that is to her, and you go, maybe she would just trade in these people. It doesn't really matter to her. She's always lived the life of a hermit. So I was kind of going, oh, actually, maybe this is her plan. And then when she calls for the 50 members of Merwin's army to come and take down Fial, I was going... She's strong enough herself. She could probably take down Fial, but maybe she understands that now he's getting, uh, now, now working alongside him. Maybe she does need 50 members of an army to take him down. So I was going along with it the whole time, not thinking that this could be some kind of double, double cross. And what cemented it is the moment when she brings them all into the kind of quarry area and they all get sealed off by Mervin, Merwin's army and she pulls her horse up standing right in front of yeah. them. It really felt like they were about to just attack. So I, I was totally 
sold on this, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I guess for me, it was it was slightly different from that in the sense that I didn't think she was double crossing them. I because she'd had the conversation with Fjall, who basically said there is no secret passageway mm-hmm. into Zintrea. I think he says, yeah. if there was, I would have sealed it up. Exactly. Um, being the the royal protector yeah. clan. Um, so her going and doing that, to me, was like, well, that's how they're going to get in. That's right. how they're infiltrating into yeah. Centrea, but also, more importantly, deep into the palace, because mm-hmm. it's a massive city. So I was like, okay, I get it. That's a good plan. Mm-hmm. Um it was when she heads up the column of the 50 soldiers, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. So she was being totally serious with this. This was right. the reward for Fial, some additional uh, sort of pocket money for the Lark as mm-hmm. well, as well as then getting her tribe's sword um, yeah. back as well. And I was like, oh, okay, I didn't see that. Right, right. And then, of course, she calls on Uthrock One Nut. Yay! And, yep. to, and so it's like, okay, that was really good. I Because it had me absolutely flipping between this is how they're getting mm-hmm. in, she's been part of the team, to, oh, no, she isn't. She's betrayed them to, oh, no, she is. See, Grand. it's just like a Christmas panto jam. Oh no, she isn't. <laughs> exactly. Oh yes, she is. Yeah, the the great <laughs> widow twanky that <laughs> is Michelle Yeoh um, was fantastic. Absolutely, yeah. and we do get introduced to uh, to Uthrock uh, One Nut, uh, played by Dylan Moran, uh, very famous yes. um, comedy legend. I would say over here yes. at this side of the ocean, uh, but probably not very well known outside. I know he's been in a few movies that have crossed over uh, into the US, usually playing the best, the funny best friend or the funny. Yeah drunken friend kind of sank i guess um yeah but i don't think he ever uh i don't know whether they were the best movies yeah i think i think run fat boy run was probably the only yeah, one i remember maybe. with simon Pegg. that's uh that, oh my that god I love that film. yeah okay yeah. in terms of u.s movies i yeah. mean but it, like Shaun of the dead he's in there he as well so he is of course yes there there is one tv show that some americans may know him from which is of course black books yes. which was bill bailey yeah. it, it has made his way onto netflix and i know some kind of folks who enjoy British comedy mm-hmm. definitely have checked it out. Very much similar to Spaced. If you've ever watched Spaced with Simon Pegg, mm. it's kind of along those comedic lines. Yeah, Dylan Moran's a lot more miserable than any yes. character in Spaced, though. Uh, I, I loved I love Black Books. It's uh, yeah. one, one of my favorite shows, um, but it has a very, very dark sense of humor. Uh, oh, so, so what I yeah. love about Dylan Moran is he has that, sense about him every time you see him he has that sarcasm about him that he hates everybody around him doesn't want to spend any time with anybody and black books is the perfect dylan moran vehicle it's all about him and how many people he hates and how he can piss everybody off around him what what i like here is seeing something very different about him in in uh, ultrock he's he's the leader of an army he's uh, very supportive of his group around him it seems he's the one that's um that's inspiring them all to uh to join this at uh, this uh this effort effectively so uh he may be a sellsword leader i guess that's probably what he is yeah. but uh but he is able to lead this army and you would never expect that from the type of roles Dylan moran has done in the past no especially from uh an elk with one nut yeah yeah <laughs> of course it's a story it's all a story yes it's all a story um i i really enjoyed this i enjoyed the back and forth the the flips of this story 
I agree with you, Derek. I it, the lack of knowledge on who these characters was played into this. Yeah, yeah. In that we just yeah. weren't sure because you just I wholeheartedly was up until she called Uthrak. I was like. Oh my god, they're gonna pull out the Witcher badassery right now and mm-hmm. he's gonna take down fifty men in, by himself. Yes. And you're gonna <laughs> have that kind of like superhero landing where he jumps and twists and like destroys everything in one go uh-huh. and it's gonna look something out of the TV show to then go Oh, 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 okay, this is so much cooler. This is yeah. a well thought out plan. It was funny. It was very cool. Um, it was very cool. Yeah. Yeah, and we also get to see a little bit of uh, of Meldorf's archery skills as well. As she, uh, <laughs> yeah, as she yeah, takes out good. two guys with one bow. Uh, that was very cool. Two uh, two arrows in one bow, and uh, takes out two guys running away. That was very cool. <laughs> yes, but she quickly throws away the the bow because uh, Gwen gets jealous. Yeah, Gwen gets yeah, jealous. That was exactly. excellent. Yeah, exactly. Love that little touch. Yeah. So that that's my big moment from the episode. That's that's uh, the I, the idea of the double double cross uh, from skiing. Really good. Uh, weirdly, though, for this episode because it's been such a focus for the last few episodes um there is the other side that's going on the kind of scheming that's going on uh, in merwin and what she's actually doing with her plan you know we just to mention it kind of in notes as we as we close out the episode but um she has effectively realized her plan to overthrow baylor um she's accomplished that now you know that was only a discussion last episode yeah. that potentially the army and the crown or the the uh, the throne would join together and overthrow the mages overthrow the, the magic users um but here effectively her plan was that she would use the, she would have her mage steal the book uh that uh that balor has been using to open up the monoliths and uh try and use it himself um yep but he fails quite miserably pretty quickly, uh, even though Balor and his uh, and his assistant have been uh, both captured and thrown in prison. Um, they kind of have to go back and create an alliance between the three of them uh, again, between the army, the, th- the throne, and uh, and the magicians, the mages. Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting one. I mean, yeah, th- th- this plan's kind of enacted quite quickly. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you see Avalach, um sort of stealing that contraption that uh, Balor uses mm-hmm. to sort of activate the monoliths or get the readings or, or what have you that he took from Sindral. Um, I-, I-, I like the moment where he just comes in because he knows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I-, I like the whole tension in Merwin's um, sort of royal chambers where ultimately what you find is, you know, and quite interestingly in respect probably of the the chaos magic is that this apprentice, Fenric, um, who's by his side and is imprisoned with him, mm-hmm. is actually quite special. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of interesting because he completely stands down from sending Avalok off the the balcony mm-hmm. to his death um when uh captain erin uh puts the knife to fenric's throat so mm-hmm. thought that was kind of interesting and then i did like the moment where avlock effectively failing miserably at activating the monolith means that merwin's got to go back a bit of humble pie mm-hmm. um and you know, Balor pushes it and says, well, release me and also Fenric. Yeah. And um, I love the fact that 
the signing is um, Fenric saying, you can't trust this bitch. Uh-huh. <laughs> to which point, like, he's... And she thanks you as well, humbly, <laughs> to, to Moen. So I, yeah. I kind of liked... I liked all this, but I do think it was a bit quick. It was. It was. Um, it, it felt like something needed to happen in this part of the story. Mm-hmm. And a bit like you've mentioned, Chris, if they had five episodes, that could have just been sort of drawn out a bit more. Yeah, yeah. Or just have Avalok sort of activate it, but they need Balor. Mm. And so he goes in chains, you know, or something like that. Right. Um, I don't know, but yeah. it, it felt a little... Um, Maybe almost superfluous a bit yeah. to this story, but I kind of liked how it transpired a bit. Certainly with the deal struck, and yeah. certainly the interaction with Fenric and and Baylor, because mm-hmm. ultimately that scene it kind of added an importance of that relationship there, Absolutely. rather than simply just being some kind of mage apprentice. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I, I think the one thing you also really miss about it is you don't get the irony of what's happened here with Balor. Um, he says it, but you wouldn't, you don't feel it because he's only been in this room or in this cell for about an hour or so. But what he says is he built this specifically to make mages feel naked and afraid and unpowerful, and now he's in that position. But you don't feel it if he'd been in there for a year like you would get on the Witcher TV show Bellar thrown into into a cell, and then a year later they come back, and he's still there. You'd feel that he was powerless, whereas here it just feels like well, he's only been there an hour or so. He's telling us he feels powerless, but uh, he can't do anything. But uh, but yeah, you miss that kind of irony that he's the one that created the room. So uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it feeds into. I mean, this whole thing feeds into his insecurities mm-hmm. of being lowborn as yes. well. You yeah. know, in this really hierarchical set up with the royals and the monarchy mm-hmm. and the empress and so on. So, yeah. you know, that's an important driver for him. You know, he had it all there. And ultimately, even though it may be for different reasons from Merwin, mm-hmm. for him, he's just been taken out by his overlords, his superiors, yeah. you know, um, like he would have worried about would have mm. expected to happen. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of like you see the deflation in in Balor. Yeah. Um, and, and, he, and he says it's because they all think of him as a lowborn person yes. that's above a station, but Merwin explaining that that's not it. It's just, exactly. But nonetheless. It's just you are above your station. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And that's why in the cell with the deal, just the expression on Balor's face mm-hmm. is really good when he gets that deal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to call out very quickly, like, Lenny Henry in this role. Yeah. Like, oof, really good casting. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like, really, like I, it was ever since, like, he kind of got a bit more into acting in, what was it, like, Broadchurch? Um, he, he, he did some stuff a couple of years ago with David Tennant and a few others, and he kind of went deep into serious acting. Yes. And I think this is very much him, again, showing some chops that I wouldn't have thought he was... Not capable of, but like I still see him as very much a comedian from the British comic relief kind of aspects yeah. and some of his more comedic roles yeah. in the nineties. Yeah, he t- he talks um, about it, and he he's just released his biography and he was talking about about it recently that he feels like he's had three phases of his career. The first phase was his com 
his comedy and stand-up time, and then it was comedy acting. And then about 10 years ago, he discovered this drama side. He's done a lot of stage plays preparing and doing a lot of serious acting. And now yeah. he's getting bigger and bigger projects. He you played know, Othello on stage. That yeah. was it, wasn't it? Yeah. He was yeah. on. He was in West End. Mm. Yeah. Like, and I, was, it was to great reviews. I mean, yeah. I never saw it, but... Uh, and like you say, I, I mean, what was the other thing? It, it was called the called Chef, wasn't it? I mean, mm. I didn't actually watch it. I did. Yeah. Um, but th- that was quite a long running series, yeah. I think, that was he like a, was a, the a, lead in. But it was like a comedy drama. There was there was quite a bit of drama in it uh, yeah. at the time. But a pretty old show now. I think it was, I think it was late nineties. But you know, we'd mentioned it before. We've talked about him recently being on the on the Rings of Power, uh, the Lord of the Rings uh, prequel series, and now in this show, he's going to be in Nancy Boys, coming from Neil Gaiman next year, and he's done a Ooh. lot of. The, um, he's in the, Sandman as well. Yeah, he did a, a voice in Sandman as well. Uh, but he's done a lot of book narration as well. He's done a lot of, uh, a lot of that kind of, uh, that kind of work over the last couple of years. So it is great to see him in these roles. You're totally right, Chris. We've grown up with, with Lenny Henry being around. So you do always kind of call back to the highest profile stuff that he did, which would be something like Comic Relief. But I'm, I'm really glad he's getting these kind of roles of big, lots of meat in the, in the drama and being, yeah. uh, and being a villain here is something that you just don't expect from such a friendly happy guy like Lenny Henry as yeah. well so. <laughs> and he's doing and it for well me, yeah and for me it really it comes out in that scene in the prison mm-hmm. in, the, in yeah. the jail like when he's talking about he how he built this to house other mages and it's not him mm-hmm. and then you still got the element of like right at the end where he accepts the offer and she goes what the hell is this be talking about and he goes she thanks you from the bottom of her yeah, heart yeah. you still get that slight comedic edge mm-hmm. but it's just wrapped in this Deceit and just this, just drama that I was like, no, I, I'm in, I'm enjoying this character. Yeah, Absolutely. definitely. Absolutely. And I mean, but yeah. it's also the fact that you know he's imprisoned in that cell, and he says, "I now understand about the true sacrifice." Yeah. Um, that the kind of Powerball uh, or <laughs> cosmic energy were, was talking about, you know, that he would have to make. Yeah. So the Powerball yeah. is a very different thing in North America, John. That's the uh, that's the lottery over there. So, uh, <laughs> so maybe maybe the uh, the energy is uh, is the lottery. Uh, it maybe could that's be. It. it grants all your dreams. Uh, all you have to do is play. Uh, right. That's it for our discussion about episode three of The Witcher: Blood Origin of Warriors, Wakes, and Wondrous Worlds. John, overall, what did you think of the episode? I really liked it. I give it four um, black potions out of five. Mm. Yeah, I just thought this was really good seeing sort of creation of the Witcher. Mm-hmm. I love just them all. You know, finally the the group of seven together. Um, and again, the, the interactions here is just some really fun stuff here. Mm-hmm. Serious stuff. I, as I say, I'm just really enjoying being in the Witcher world and uh, and seeing these new characters. I mean, to be honest, I think they're doing a really good job of the story as well, uh-huh. given it's a, a mini-series, effectively, yeah. of four episodes. But I'm enjoying it that much that I do want to have season two or mini-series two of this or something. Mm-hmm. Like... I, like, I really would like to see that mm. with these characters, given that, you know, um, hopefully all of them survive to yeah. the end. But, you know, um, I, I, I would. 
I like the little nod uh, of Avalak here, discovering uh, when he's looking through Sindral's books that uh, he thinks he's realised that uh, there's possible time travel available from the books. So you're going, hmm, maybe we can see Michelle Yeoh in The Witcher in the future. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is very true. Very much so, especially how they left season two mm. of The Witcher. Yeah, yeah, you never know. Yeah, you never know. No, uh, how about yourself, Chris? What did you think of the episode? I am enjoying every aspect of this. Mm-hmm. And again, my only complaint is the amount of time with the characters. Uh, again, agreeing that, yes, it, it paid off well with Michelle Yeoh's character and mm-hmm. the not knowing the backstory allowed us to have this concern that maybe she is betraying them. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's some of just this backstory on some of the characters that I just want. I just want to spend a bit more time with them, have a bit more understanding of their machinations and the reasons they do things. Um, and very much getting the inside joke that Meldoff falls asleep as he, Brother Death tries to tell his backstory. Mm-hmm. But he has this cool love affair and back of like grief with the witch, but we're never going to know it. Mm-hmm. Because the like the meta is that we don't care because we're going to fall asleep. So for me, it's like loving this series, enjoying what it is. It's a slightly too little, too quickly. I just want that a bit more. I want to stew in it a bit more, but completely understand why they're doing this limited series. And let's hopefully see more. Derek, what about yourself? Absolutely. Maybe that'll be the uh, the Witcher. The next Witcher game will be based 1,200 years before the other Witchers need to play as all these characters. There you go. So there is a remake of The Witcher 1 for next gen. There is two other Witcher projects after that as well. Yeah. So there's three Witcher projects in active development. Yeah. Um, so maybe. Yeah. And one eventually will be a new story after The Witcher 3. <laughs> It'll happen. It'll happen. Uh, good stuff. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this episode uh, a lot. Nothing more I can really add to uh, to our discussion um, overall. But uh, but yeah, I thought this worked really well. I like having the full group uh, now of seven together. Uh, and I like those twists and turns of what was going on with Skian uh, in this episode. And yes, the creation of The Witcher, which I didn't know I wanted as much as I did. Um, I mm. thought it worked really, really well. I loved the... I loved um how it was acted um with Fial going through the pain he's going through because uh, it echoes what we've seen the witchers having to go through when they're going through their creation as well we've seen uh, the pain that they go through as uh, in uh, in the the animated show and in the uh, the live action show so uh, so it was great seeing those echoes back from from Fial so uh, yeah overall enjoyed this episode um we are going to hopefully hand off to ourselves in the future with some feedback from our wonderful fellow witchers well we're back full of christmas dinner <laughs> very full, full, full of christmas, christmas dinner yeah full of christmas cheer Lots of leftovers uh, going to be filling us up for the rest of the week. And we are also back with some feedback on The Witcher Blood Origin Episodes 1 and 2. Excellent stuff. Yes. Shall we kick off with some feedback over on Facebook from Dr. Bob Phillips for Episode 1? Mm-hmm. Bob Phillips says, I love the framing of this. Take the annoying bard, nearly kill him, so close, (laughs) and then turn the series into a celebration of the necessity of story. I was a little surprised to find a not-hobbit as an assassin sage, but those monoliths are said to tear the veil between worlds. Very glad to see Emperor Giorgio claiming leadership of the Gang of Three, and I'm very taken by the bare beauty of the Icelandic scenery. Throw forward to the Elven Axe Survivor query, John Harrison wondered if the axe had caused enough damage to create a 
pneumothorax on one side, maybe splitting nerve to the legs, but gave a few minutes for the air pressure within the chest to build and finally crush the heart, during which time the warrior managed to get a last blow in. Yes, well, I think the uh, the query there is uh, nicely um, answered yes, there. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Dr. Bob. Uh, I completely forgot that Dr. Bob does not like Yaskir. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Almost got him killed. Uh, but not only did he not die uh, in that opening episode, uh, we also got two Yaskers in the opening episode. So I don't know how that worked <laughs> exactly. for you, Dr. Bob. Um, but yeah, great to see Emperor Giorgio uh, back again. Emperor Giorgio uh, is uh, a character on uh, Star Trek Discovery, also played by Michelle Yeoh, who yeah. is everywhere at the moment because uh, she's absolutely wonderful, <laughs> of course. So uh, so great to see her here uh, in Blood Origins. We really enjoyed her uh, on, on the show as well. Uh, thanks, Dr. Bob. Yeah, uh, thanks, Dr. Bob. He also had some thoughts about episode two, says, cracking on a pace here. Highlights for me were evil Lenny's line about control the narrative, control the world, and the introduction of a murderous hammer-wielding Joff with her girlfriend slash weapon. They seem to have skipped the stories of the other companions, and maybe this is why the alliterative titles are gapping as they progress. Very good. Yes, uh, we didn't get um, what we thought was going to be C letters in the the second uh, name. It went on from B to D, as Chris was talking about. Yeah, although I do think that that was Chris's just sense of order and sequencing. I think it was. I don't think there's any intention to have particular gaps. Yeah, yeah, especially because the uh, the rest of the episodes uh, don't follow that sequence in any Anyway, shape or form. Yes. And yeah, Evil Lenny's, that, that line just mm-hmm. is so self-referential to The Witcher, um, but also to this tale as well with Blood Origin. Yes, that was, I think, the quote I used uh, for the opening scene as well, because I really liked, uh, yeah, really liked that, definitely. that tale. Good stuff. Thank you, uh, Dr. Bob. Mm-hmm. We also got some feedback in for episodes one and two by email from Coffee and Vodka. Greetings, fellow truncated defenders. I hope your holidays are going well. We live in a time so rich in quality motion picture and television programming that we've come to take it for granted, no longer calling it entertainment, but content. In trying to keep up with so much of it, I've appreciated this fast-paced miniseries. Mm -hmm. Michelle Yeoh was an excellent and strategic get for the show, legitimizing a best-of scene selection of the books and giving it a gravitas it might not otherwise have had. Saying this, it really is a fun romp that knows not to take itself too seriously while providing context for Geralt's world with excellent special effects, good acting, and again, great pacing. Favourite characters thus far are Meldoff and Gwen of the Flowers. (laughs) Four and a half clan bakes and hammered patrons out of five. Peace and take care, coffee and vodka. Excellent. Thank you so much, coffee and vodka. Yes, the holidays are certainly... Uh, going very well, mm-hmm. although uh, a little uh, full up on turkey and turkey curry mm-hmm. and ham. The ham's gorgeous. The it? ham is lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, overdosing on uh, ham butties at the moment, <laughs> yes. for sure. It's ham, weirdly, my speciality. <laughs> it <laughs> is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> With lots of mustard yes. as well. Mm-hmm. I think you're right as well. Michelle Yeoh was absolutely a, a great get for, mm-hmm. for the show. Um, I mean, just the whole, uh, fight scene, uh, at her singular tent tribe, uh, was just phenomenally good, yeah. really. Yeah. It, it's an old quote, um, from Alfred Hitchcock, uh, that you cast an actor because, um, of the, 
history that comes with them and the past roles that they've been in so that people form a connection with them straight off the bat. And I think they've used Michelle Rio very well in this series in that form because everybody knows her now. She's done so many different shows and movies over the years. Everybody knows who she is. People will come on board and watch the show just for her and maybe taken aback by some of the some of the twists and turns of her storyline um, throughout the season because they think they know who she is. She's the amazing kick-ass heroine uh, in, the, in, a lot of, in a lot of movies. She is a villainous uh, character, I know, in in some other uh, other roles as well but because of the kind of history of the character you come in with an expectation of who she's going to play in this show so i think they've worked that very well yeah um, absolutely yeah. good stuff thanks coffee and vodka yeah thank you coffee and vodka and also yeah the context for uh, Geralt's world is is just really really good for mm-hmm. me um it really layers in uh, Geralt's world uh, and I'm really looking forward to Witcher season 3 having this knowledge as well uh, it was the same with the animation last year so yeah, yeah. Uh, good point indeed absolutely thanks for the feedback uh, we will be back on episode 4 with a bit more feedback uh, on the final two episodes that's it that's the end of our coverage of The Witcher Blood Origin episode 3 we are going to go on to our next podcast which will be the finale of The Witcher Blood Origin thanks so much for joining us for this episode Yes, thank you so much. And if you've enjoyed what you heard, don't forget to head on to tvpodcastindustries.com to subscribe, like, and share everything and everything we do. If you really, really enjoyed what you've heard, don't forget to head on up to patreon.com slash tvpodcastindustries where you can support us for any ongoing monthly amount. Or if you just want to do a one-off donation for the Christmas holiday cheer, why not head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash tvpi where you can buy us an Irish coffee just for the Christmas winter. Thank you so much. And if you really, really enjoyed it, don't forget to like and share because sharing the podcast is what, gents? It is sharing the festival. Sharing the festival. Exactly. Yes. Oh, I like that. I like that. (laughs) Thank you so much. We'll speak to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget, we also have our end of year uh, review out. Uh, Should be available in, in your podcast catcher right now. And we will be back after The Witcher with the next season of Star Wars The Bad Batch Season 2 begins on January 4th. So make sure you step, stay subscribed and thanks for joining us. Yeah, great stuff. Thanks for joining us, fellow witches. Uh, in the meantime, uh, before we're back, keep watching, keep listening and keep witching. <laughs>